Amen. I'm going to have you turn with me, if you will, to the book of Habakkuk, one of the smallest books in the Bible. It's in that, uh, that collection at the back of all the little short ones. And that's where we're going to start, chapter number three and verse number two. Looking forward to a great weekend, Sunday morning, Sunday night. Looking forward to the Lord doing a great work. I understand our life groups are going awesome and so we're thankful for that. Uh, our, our teachers, the reason we got a little bit, the schedule is a little different, are we're doing a training with our, all of our children and youth workers to uh, make sure that, uh, that, that they are well-trained, make sure our kids are in good hands and protected. And so we're doing a training with them tonight. And so the kids are going out to the gym to, to be out there tonight. So that's why the schedule is a little bit different. Habakkuk chapter number three and verse number two, if you found it, say amen. amen. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. the seeds of revival, the seeds of revival. Lord, I pray, God, that you would help me, God, to deliver what's on my heart. Lord, I pray that you open our hearts and our spirit and understanding to your word, oh God, in the name of Jesus. God, I pray, anoint our time together in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Give the Lord a good hand clap of praise as you're being seated tonight. God bless you. Amen. The early modern Pentecostal movement that uh, most people in America, when they think about it, they think about Azusa Street. They call that the, uh, they call that the, uh, the Pentecostal, the birth of Pentecost, and that's just not historically accurate at all. Um, I call it the early modern Pentecostal movement because there's always been, there's always been a Pentecostal church from the upper room until now. And uh, some of what I'm bringing, I'm going to try my best not to bore you with history. Somebody asked me last night, some of the young people were over at the house, and uh, they asked me if I, if I like talking about history or science more in my sermons. And I said, um, I said yes, uh, both. But, uh, but, but tonight's going to be a lot of history. Um, and I'm going to try not to make it make it too boring if I can help it, but, um, but there's always been a church. What I'm bringing to you tonight actually is just an excerpt. I've got about a 120-page uh, uh, Bible study I wrote that covered the history of the church starting in the, in the second century, the first and second century, and, uh, and if, you know, I could just read that whole thing to you tonight. That'd be fine, but, but uh, Sister Carson doesn't want me to, and so I'm not. But, but the, the early modern Pentecostal movement that we think of as basically the last 115 years or so, 117 years, um, was not an event that just popped up on its own. It was, it was a step in a long process of events that had happened over the course of hundreds of years. Um, really, you need to go back 
to even the, the, the things that brought along the Reformation. And I'm already delving into stuff that I'd planned not to talk about. But one of the key figures that contributed to the change in religion in America was a man by the, the name of John Wesley. John Wesley was born in 1703, June the 28th. He died March the 2nd of 1791. He was an Anglican clergyman. Uh, and the Anglicans were basically like the Catholics. They had broken away from the Catholic Church um, primarily because the King of England uh, wanted to uh, divorce Catherine of Aragon and the Pope wouldn't let him. And so uh, he started his own church. And that's, that's uh, basically how that went. In 1737 in London, John Wesley, this Anglican minister, Anglican preacher, was reading on the book of Romans. And while reading, he said his heart became, and this was his quote, his words, strangely warm. And he believes that that was the moment that he was actually converted. Even though he was already an Anglican minister, he believes that that experience he had was when he was converted. He said that it was, quote, perfectionism or holiness that got a hold of him that night. He called it the second work of grace. To John Wesley's thinking, the first work of grace is justification. That was the moment that he believes his sins were taken away. But this second work is what he called sanctification. Sanctification is translated from the Greek word in your Bible as the word holiness. It means to sanctify or to make holy. And so he felt like this moment when the Spirit of God touched him was, was when God made him holy. The term sanctification in its basic meaning means when something begins to function properly. So when something is sanctified is when it's actually operating in how it was intended to operate. For something to be sanctified, it has to be set apart for the use that its designer intended it for. And so when I'm writing with this pen, this pen becomes sanctified by the fact that I'm using it for its intended purpose. This microphone, when it's sitting over there, turned off, is not sanctified. It's sanctified when it's being used for its actual purpose. Amen. Eyeglasses are sanctified. These are being sanctified right now because they're being used for their purpose. In the theological sense, things are sanctified when they become used for the purpose that God created them for. And so that's what holiness is. Holiness is when the Spirit of God touches us and makes us... Amen. And so John Wesley felt like in this moment that when the Spirit of God touched him that he would for his purpose and for his design. 
Now, to save a whole lot of, uh, a whole lot of, of, of history, he began to instill a very methodical approach to discipleship. He, he instituted classes for all different age groups, different size groups. And because of that, they started calling them Methodists. And so that's where the term Methodist came from. One of his followers was a man by the name of John William Fletcher, who was born in 1729 and lived until 1785. Fletcher would call Wesley's sanctification the second work of grace. He said it was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said, quote, that there is a day of Pentecost for believers, a time when the Holy Ghost descends abundantly. You notice that they're using terms like day of Pentecost or baptism of the Holy Spirit. Wesley and Fletcher and others began to use terminology that you and I are familiar with, but they didn't mean it like we mean it. To them, it was this, this feeling that came on them. What's clear is that John Wesley believed that Pentecost was the beginning of sanctification of the church. He believed that this, this spirit given at Pentecost was something that was available to all believers. On June the 3rd of 1781, he noted in his journal, he said, he said, I preached on the, the Acts 2 and 4. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and showed in what sense this promise belongs to us and to our children. He started this idea in, in the modern church of his time that there's something more than just joining a church or being born into a church. That there is this experience that you need to have in God to where you know that the Spirit of God touched you. Amen. For Wesley, Pentecost didn't mark the beginning of the church, but it was available to the church. The weakness, the weakness in Wesley's teaching and his followers' approach was they wanted the after effects of Pentecost, but they weren't seeking the same evidence as the day of Pentecost. And so this Methodist movement then began to develop a subgroup within it. And in the 17, as the 1700s drew to a close, there was a great bit of worry about the direction of the young nation, the wilderness which at that time, what they considered wilderness was everything west of the Appalachian Mountains, Ohio, Kentucky, Tennessee. That this wilderness areas that were being settled, they were, they were filled with what they called wild men. These American frontiersmen who they were, according to resources, filled with drunkenness and other sins of the flesh. The church people in these wilderness areas, got stirred up to seek God. And one of the great events that happened was 1801 in Cane Ridge, Kentucky. They had what they called a communion, what we would now call a camp meeting. A, met, a Presbyterian minister by the name of Barton Stone, he along with several local Presbyterian and Methodist ministers began to organize this gathering at a place called Cane's Ridge. On August the 6th, they gathered 
1801, they gathered at Cane Ridge. They said about 140 wagons or carriages, about 800 people camped on the grounds. A continual stream of Christians from the wilderness who were stirred up to see God do something began to gather. It says they arrived throughout Saturday and Sunday. Attendance estimates range from 10 to 20,000 people. The author, Crawford Leonard Allen, said, and I quote, a preaching tent was erected on the grounds, and by Saturday afternoon there was a continual preaching from both the tent and the meeting house. Excitement mounted. By sundown, cries and shouts of those repenting could be heard throughout the crowd. The noise rose to a level that could be heard several miles away. These are Christian people who realized that they needed revival. They began to cry and repent to a point that they could be heard from miles away. This Cane Ridge revival, Paul Conklin called it America's Pentecost. He said it's arguably the most important religious gathering in all of American history. He said the effects of this one revival, by the fall of that same year, people to the central counties of Kentucky marveled at the near utopia. The Spirit of God had burned and cleansed the whole area. Practically everyone had somehow been affected by the revival. And George Baxter called it, quote, the most moral place I had ever been in. And a religious awe seemed to pervade the country. From altars where thousands of Christians prayed for revival, God began to work and turn their communities around. Because people began to seek God. Conklin also said, and I'm quoting him, and I'm, I'm setting this up because obviously you know I'm trying to drive at something here. He said, quote, Methodists cried and shouted with joy in services throughout the year. He said this was normal. After all, John Wesley had preached so as to stimulate both the, what he called swooning and convulsions that marked great periods of revival among the Methodists. These Methodists were, were moved by the Spirit of God. <coughs> this subgroup began to form what, what was known as the Holiness Movement. The Holiness Movement began to tell the church that there's more to religion than just having an experience when you're in church and then going out and being the same way you were before you came. They believed that there was an effect of the Spirit of God on the heart of a Christian, and they called it holiness, and they began to be known as the holiness movement. The latter part of the 1800s found the nation again spiritually destitute. The Civil War, according to an author by the name of John Inverso, he wrote that the impact of the Civil War on the spirituality of the country cannot be measured. He said it demoralized the churches on both sides of the battle. It's important to note 
that this holiness movement, primarily among the Methodists, was calling for Christians to purify themselves, repent, seek God, and get back to the day of Pentecost. Canadian holiness evangelist, R.C. Horner, he began to talk about what he called the third work of grace or the baptism of the Holy Ghost. In his 1891 book titled Pentecost, he taught that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was to him a third work of grace that empowered the believer for service. These Wesleyan holiness believers, this movement, their preachers, began to push Christians to desire more of what the New Testament church had. In their thinking, there's more to living for God than cathedrals and pipe organs and dead, dry religion. There's more to it than showing up, being bored, and going home the same way that you came. And so these holiness movement preachers began to inspire the churches to begin to pray for a New Testament church experience. Amen. Amen. Duke theology professor Grant Wacker, he wrote this. He said, quote, a restorationist yearning to recover the supernatural power and miracles of the New Testament church began to get a hold of the late 1800s churches. They began praying for a restoration of Pentecost, though they didn't really understand it like we do. They began to pray that what happened in the Bible would happen again in America. B.F. Lawrence wrote of that same generation, the late 1800s, he wrote of that generation of Christians crying back to Pentecost. In the minds of these honest-hearted thinking men and women, this work of God was connected to the New Testament. They didn't want dead religion anymore. They didn't want dead churches anymore. They didn't want a dead experience anymore. They were praying to God to get what they saw happen in the New Testament. What they said, quote, was built by the same hand and upon the same foundation of the apostles and prophets. After the same pattern, according to the same covenant, they said, we too are the habitation of God through the Spirit. Amen. This culture in the church in the late 1800s, they began to pray for revival to sweep across America. They began to pray for a restoration of the book of Acts. They didn't know about tongues at that point. They didn't know about the power of the Spirit like we know. They just knew that they were not experiencing what the New Testament church had. And they began to cry for more of what they read when they read the Bible. Later on the scene, a man by the name of Charles Parham Born in 1873 in Iowa, he was a licensed local preacher in the Methodist Episcopal Church in March of 1893. The following June, he was appointed as pastor of a Methodist church. Now, you know I don't just name off denominations all the time. 
I'm, I'm naming it now because it's in the history record. I'm just reading the history of it. I'm not, I'm not of these movements. I'm just simply saying that that's what he was. He was a Methodist pastor. In October the 15th of 1900, he started Bethel Bible College in Topeka, Kansas, in a building known as Stone's Folly because a man by the name of Stone began to build it, and it was so elaborate he couldn't afford to finish it. And so they called it Stone's Folly. I'm quoting now from a historical record. It said that Parham lectured, this is quote, Parham lectured the rest of the fall on standard holiness themes as the year closed out. He directed his students' attention to the Pentecostal themes found in Acts chapter number two. In particular, he challenged his students. There was about 40 students. He challenged his students to find what, if any, was the true biblical sign of the baptism of the Holy Ghost? And how could Christians be certain they had received it? Parm left Topeka, went to Kansas City to preach for a couple of days. He came back on New Year's Eve of that year, of 1900. He gathered with the school for what it's called a watch night service. Some of you old timers remember what a watch night service. You would gather on New Year's Eve and you'd, you'd pray and worship until the new year started. I'd do it if I could stay awake that long. I haven't seen a, the, the coming of a new year for about 15 years. I'm not planning to see one till death do I part. And so he organizes this watch night service. And he asked the students for their answers regarding the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Parm recalled, quote, to my astonishment, they all had the same story, that while there were different things which occurred when the Pentecostal blessing fell, the indisputable proof on each occasion was that they spoke with other tongues. Amen. That was December 31st of 1900. About 75 people were gathered in this service. Students. A mighty, I'm quoting again from, from their, their historical record. A mighty spiritual power filled the entire school. At 10.30 p.m., center, at, sis, not center, well, she might have been, but sister Agnes Osmond asked that hands be laid upon her to receive the Holy Ghost. At first he refused because he had never prayed with anyone to speak in tongues before. Then being, this is quote, then being further pressed to do it humbly in the name of Jesus, I laid my hands upon her head and prayed. I had scarcely repeated three dozen sentences when a glory fell upon her. A halo seemed to surround her head and face and she began speaking in the Chinese language and was unable to speak English for three days. Amen. A fellow Bible college student named Maud Jessamine Neer described hearing Agnes Osmond receive the Holy Ghost. Quote, I shall never forget the awe I felt as I listened, realizing that the mighty God had by his spirit come to dwell in human flesh. 
Amen. Within three days, 12 of their young ministers have been baptized with the Holy Ghost and the fame began to spread all over the country. Parm eventually found his way. Is this history lesson all right with y'all for a while? Parm eventually found his way down to Houston, Texas, where in one of his classes was a one-eyed black preacher named William Seymour. They made him sit in the hallway because of his race. From the hallway, he took notes and he listened and soon was asked to take a small Methodist church in Los Angeles. He went to the church and began to preach the message of the Holy Ghost. And when he went back for a church service, they had padlocked the door, not allowing him to re-enter. But one of the men of the church, a black man by the name of Richard Asbury and his wife invited Seymour to preach at their house at 214 Bonnie Bray Street in Los Angeles. And again, I quote, reportedly Edward Lee, a janitor, was the first to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues on April the 9th of 1906 after Seymour laid hands on him. After Lee received his personal Pentecost, seven others, including Jenny Evans Moore, received the baptism, the spirit baptism and spoke in tongues. A neighbor described what was happening on North Bonnie Bray Street with the following words, quote, they shouted three days and three nights. It was Easter season. The people came from everywhere. By the next morning, there was no way of getting near the house. As people came in, they would fall under God's power. The whole city was stirred. They shouted until the foundation of the house gave way, but no one was hurt. The porch collapsed, so they began looking for a building, and they found one at 312 Azusa Street, a former Methodist mission which has been used at, at one time as a horse stable, became the epicenter of the early modern Pentecostal movement. Amen. I have here a book called the Azusa Papers. They, they published a monthly newsletter called the Apostolic Faith. And they, they happen to have copies of, of all of those in, in, in this book. I don't even remember how I got this book. I didn't steal it. I know that. But an article titled Pentecost Has Come, Volume 1, Number 1, September of 1906. Now, something like 13,000 people have received this gospel. It's spreading everywhere. The meetings in Los Angeles started in a cottage meeting and the Pentecost fell there for three nights. The people had nothing to do but wait on the Lord and praise him. And they commenced speaking in tongues as they did at Pentecost. And the Spirit sang songs through them. The meeting was then transferred to Azusa Street. And since then, multitudes have been coming. Amen. Why did I spend all this time, 25 minutes and 36.8 seconds? Why did I spend this time talking about stuff that happened generations ago, going back even into the 1700s? Because there's a pattern that emerges from the pages of history that when people stir themselves up to seek God, God answers with revival. 
Amen. There's a shaking going on right now. There's a shaking going on right now. I know there's a lot of naysayers, and I'm also smart enough to know that everything that's happening in all these college revivals, that every single thing that's going on is not necessarily truth biblically. But I'll tell you what is right, is people are stirring themselves up to seek God. And when people seek God, God starts to move. There's a shaking going on. Amen. I was talking with, with someone in our church about this subject a few days ago, about a week ago. And, uh, and maybe about a week ago. And we were talking about these revivals at these college campuses. And, uh, and he, said, he said something. He told me, he said, I want to pray that it starts happening around here. And, uh, and I said, well, let's just pray that way. And so I've just been praying, God, stir up these schools around here too. And so I got some, somebody texting me something yesterday. They're doing a, a prayer meeting on the Ole Miss campus starting at 9 o'clock in the morning. So I changed my schedule. I'm planning on being there to pray that God would begin to send revival to this area. I'm going to tell you that we may not like the drug addict all the time, but God loves them. We may get aggravated at the dope dealer, but God loves them. We may get aggravated at the person that, that stumbles out of the bar into the street in the middle of the night, but God loves those people. Amen, and I believe in God to do something to stir this generation. The reason I brought you that history is to let you know that if we don't pray, God's gonna move on somebody else to pray. I want this place to be an epicenter, not the epicenter, but an epicenter of revival. I pray that there's enough prayer and worship that emanates time that it begins to radiate throughout our communities and our area that God would send a great stirring. Oh, I feel a shaking going on right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Get into politics, and so I'm going to refrain from getting deep into politics. But there were dueling speeches yesterday, or within the last 48 hours, one by the president of Russia and one by our president. They talk about they, they want, the, the the Russians suspended their involvement in one of the the uh, the, the nuclear treaties that we have the world is is in chaos the world the, the, the tension in the world is ramping up amen it is and and I, I'll be honest with you I'm not I'm not praying for it to ramp down now I'm not telling you you're wrong if you do but I know that the more chaos that goes on in the world the more it stirs people up. And I'm all about revival right now. I'm not about Wall Street. I'm not about all, I want revival. Whatever it takes to get people serious about living for God. If that's what it takes, then that's what it takes. I hope to God it doesn't have to. But I know prophet of God. But Jonah never would have prayed had he not been swallowed by the great fish. He said, from the belly of hell I cried. And sometimes 
please don't take this statement wrong, but sometimes the church has to get to the belly of hell before we'll pray like we're supposed to. So God, stir this nation up and stir our people up and stir our community up with revival. Send a fresh wave of Pentecost. Get people hungry for more than dead, dry churches and dead, dry religion and dead, dry altars. Get people hungry for more. And let it start in us, God. Habakkuk, he said, oh Lord, I've heard thy speech and I was afraid. God, I heard about judgment happen in the world and it, it caused me to be afraid. And so then he began to pray. His response to what was going on in the world was, oh Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. God, start moving again. God, start reaching again. God, start stirring up again. Amen. I, I've, spent, I've spent over 30 minutes tonight, mostly primarily talking about revivals churches. Wouldn't it be awesome and prayer warriors to every Methodist church in North Mississippi because he's pouring out another Pentecost. Wouldn't you like to see another Azusa Street break out? God, let it be, 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 let it be. God, let it happen in Jesus' name. Revive thy work in the midst of the years. Do it again, God. Man, I remember years ago an evangelist friend of mine he gave me an old cassette tape. That's how, you, you guys, I can talk about that to you all because you know what I'm talking about. If I was in the youth class right now talking about a cassette tape, they would, they'd be staring. They don't know what I'm talking about. I'd have to tell them that it was a, it was a, a MP4 file that you held in your hand. They wouldn't understand what I was talking about. But they handed me a, 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 a cassette tape of an old preacher from North Louisiana, Brother Tom Barnes. And, uh, and he was preaching, and he preached a message. His message was simply, do it again, God. And he began to talk about the stuff he had seen God do from the time he was a little boy all, all the way through in tent revivals and, and in, in camp meetings and in revival services and conferences and all the miracles and signs and wonders and people that were coming to God. And every time he'd tell a story about revival with that old raspy voice, he would stop and say, do it again, God. And then he'd tell another story about somebody getting delivered or getting healed or a miracle happened. And then he'd look up, I, I guess he looked up, it was a cassette tape, not a VHS. But he'd say, do it again, God. And then he'd preach another story and say, do it again, God. You know what I'd like to say? I'd like to say, do it again, God. What you did around that old pot-bellied stove 70-some years ago, do it again, God. What you did in the old Brother Heard revival, do it again, God. What you did in the James Croom revival, do it again, God. What you did in the Bobby Lewis revival, do it again, God. What you did Sunday night, three people baptized in Jesus' name, do it again, God. Do it again. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. What you did in that upper room, do it again, God. Let cloven tongues like fire fall one more time. Let the wind of Pentecost blow one more time. Let the the altar again. Do it again, God. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. You know, you know why we ought to be praying, Brother Carson? I'm thinking right now of a little storefront church on North Street in Kokomo, Indiana, an old wooden floor. The floor was so uneven, 
When my, my dad was the pastor of that little church, Brother Brad, and that floor was so uneven, we'd have to go over there and he'd be, they, him and my mom would be cleaning like on Saturday night and me and my brother, we'd have a ball and we'd let it go in one corner and it'd roll all the way to the opposite corner, just meandering through because that floor was so uneven. We'd kneel down on that floor and we'd get up and we'd have dirt patches on our knees from that. I, I had my favorite, my favorite brown and white plaid pants that I'd wear to church. Amen. It was a Spanish church. I know speaky. I, I speak a lot more now than I did then. They'd sing songs like in, in La Cruz, which is at, in the cross, right? At the cross, something like that. And uh, they, they would sing. And, and I, I, knew, I knew how to... Had, had what they, I knew the tune, but I didn't know the words. My dad would preach in Spanish, and I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. But I do know in one service that I began to feel the presence of God move on me. I didn't understand the sermon. I didn't understand the songs. I didn't understand the words. But I knew God had got a hold of my heart. And at the end of that message, I went down to an altar. And as a kid, I was baptized with the Holy Ghost. You know, God, do it again. To me, do it again. Take me back. <laughs> when I, Sister Peggy, when I was there for Christmas, I, I came planning on doing a history lesson, but here I am. When I, when I went back at Christmas time, I drove down North Street and where that old building was, it was an old fallen in building when I was a kid. I'm not a kid anymore. That building's gone. It's just a lot. I pulled into what used to be the little parking spot and I went and stood about as close to where that altar would have been that I could think of. And I stood there because I don't want to forget what God did for me back then. But not only do I want to not forget it, but I want him to do it again. Woo, praise God, Lord in Jesus' name. Oh, yes. I went on, there's a little old church on North Market Street there. It seemed like it was massive when I was a little kid. It was the church that I got baptized in. That church is gone too. Apparently, if I went to your church, it's gonna be tore down at some point. We used to stand out and there was a Libby's canning factory across the street. And we'd stand in the parking lot and we'd pick up rocks and we'd see who could throw them on top of the, on top of the factory. And we'd gotten in trouble so much. But I remember that night I got baptized in Jesus' name in that old building. And my sins were washed away. Man, it did something. And you know what I'm saying is, God, do it again. You know what, you know what they're doing tonight? Brother Austin taught a Bible study to somebody five years ago. In that Bible study, they argued with him. They fussed with him. They didn't believe it. But you know what's happening tonight? He's baptizing her in Jesus' name. Do it again, God. Do it one more time. You know, if God can't stir us up, I don't know how he's going to stir up anybody else. It ought to get some, it ought to do something. It ought to get a hold of us. God, pour it out, Lord. Pour it out, God. Pour it out. God, take me back and rebaptize me with that same desire. Stand with me. I'm closing. I guess I am. Revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. God, reveal yourself to somebody. 
Lord, I don't know what their plan for that prayer meeting is tomorrow. They may have it as dead and dry as I started to say my mother-in-law's roast, but I don't but she cooks a good roast, so I'm not going to say that. She makes a good roast, so I'm not going to say that. They may have it all planned, dead and dry, but you know what? I can still sit in that room and not make a, a scene out of myself, but I can pray to my God and I can say, God, make known these good people that are gathering on this college campus to try to find a way to touch you. Make yourself known to them. And God, in wrath, remember mercy. God, I'd rather you forgive them than judge them. I'd rather you save them than destroy them. I'd rather you work on their heart, God. In wrath, come on, I'm talking about the seeds of revival. I'm, plant, I, I'm wanting us to plant some seeds. Hosea 10 and 12, sow to yourselves in righteousness. Mercy. Break up your fallow ground. You got anything in your heart, in your life that's hard ground? You got anything in your life that you know is, 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 is hard soil? It's hard for God to get a hold of? He said, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to see. Folks, it's revival time. It's revival time. It's rev Everybody you know ought to be invited to church this weekend. It's revival time. God, come and reign righteousness on this country. God, I know this country deserves whatever judgment you send it. But God in wrath, remember mercy. There's some people that if you'll touch them, they'll come. They'll stir, God. They'll stir. The seeds of revival. If we want what they had, we got to do what they did. Why don't you lift your hands all over heaven? All over this place, lift your hands to heaven. Why don't you ask God, do it again, Lord. Do it again in my life. Give me a personal Pentecost. Help me get by, help me get through all the stuff. Whatever, whatever offenses I may have picked up or... Or, or whatever cynicism I may have picked up over the years, whatever doubts I may have picked up, whatever stuff that I may have, that I may have picked up, God, help me to put all that aside and break up my fallow ground. And God, help me to have a personal Pentecost tonight. Help me, God, to have a fresh touch, a fresh anointing in my life, in my soul, a fresh desire. Can you help me pray for a fresh desire to get a hold of our hearts tonight? Can you help me pray, God, get a hold of us with a fresh desire, a fresh hunger? Amen. Well, how many remember when you first got the Holy Ghost? How many remember how hungry you were that night? Why don't you just say, God, let me feel that way again, God. Lord, let me have a restoration. Let me have another Pentecost in my life. Let me have another upper room tonight, God. Let me have a fresh start in my life. Oh, God, send it, Lord. Send it, Lord. Send it, Lord. Send it, Lord. Let the winds of revival, let it blow, God. God, let the seeds of revival come out of this place tonight. 
don't you reach over to somebody close to him? Why don't you begin to pray and ask God? <laughs> begin to ask God, Lord, let, let something begin to stir in North Mississippi. God, let something begin to stir in the Bethlehem community, in the Marshall County area, in North Mississippi. God in wrath, remember mercy. Make known in the midst of the years. Make known. Make yourself known again, God. You're more than a statue. You're more than a, than a historical figure. You're more than just a religious icon. You're a real, powerful, very present God that's a deliverer and a savior and a helper. You're concerned with our families. You're concerned with our mind and heart. You're concerned concerned with our co-workers and our neighbors and our lost children. God, you're concerned, oh God, with those that have turned their back on you. God, make known and in wrath, remember mercy. God, help me to preach a, a culture into this church. Help me to preach an attitude and spirit of revival into our hearts, a hunger. Oh God, a hunger for everything that you've got, for more, God. For my upper room, I want to go back to my upper room, God. Oh, yeah, why don't you reach over and pray for somebody close to you and just begin to pray, God, help us to get back. Help us to get back to that restoration upper room experience. Not watered down, God. Not weakened. God, but fresh. God, come on, can we pray in Jesus' name? Oh, the power of God is in this place. God is here, Lord. Oh, God, I thank you. Oh, God, I thank you. God, touch Charlie. God, I pray. God, touch Charlie right now. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Revival for Charlie. Oh, he's got great things for you, Charlie. Great things for you, Charlie. Yes, God. Yeah, come on, this whole church is an altar. This whole place. God, let the seed of revival. How many we could use a fresh anointing tonight? Why don't you just throw your hand to heaven and say, God, baptize me fresh. There ought to be tongue talking all over this place right now. There ought to be tongue talking from the front to the back, from the left to the right. It ought to be all over this place right now. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you. Oh, God. 
Let this be the most hungry place in Marshall County. Let this be the most hungry church for revival. God, let these sweet people that have served you be hungry for another level of Holy Ghost revival being poured out. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. Oh, I feel something in this place right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I feel it's almost like clean water's washing over us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Jesus. God, I'm hungry. Lord, I'm hungry. Lord, I'm hungry. God, I'm hungry for you, Lord. In wrath, remember mercy. Revival really starts. This is the last thing I'll say and then I'll be done. Revival really starts when it starts affecting what we do from day to day. You'll know that you're really stepping into revival when you find yourself at some point tomorrow looking to heaven and saying, God, touch me one more time. God, send it one more time. As when you start implementing it into your daily routine is when it really starts to take hold. In Jesus' name, amen. You pray as long as you want. You, you can be dismissed. But I know one thing. I'm personally done. <laughs>